0: This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. When you think about artificial intelligence and manufacturing, potentially the first thing that comes to mind is big robotic arms welding something or assembling something. But what about manufacturing small things? As it turns out, dexterity with machines and manufacturing might be better suited to smaller assembly, maybe electronics as an example. This week, we focus on exactly that use case. It is Tuesday, and you know what that means. We're focusing on new AI use cases. Our guest this week is Dr. Abhishek Pani of Bright Machines. He's the SVP of product management there. He holds a PhD in operations research in the University of Maryland, And he speaks this week about why smaller manufacturing jobs might be better suited for artificial intelligence, what's possible today, and what might be possible around the corner. Abhishek gives us a nice overall view of a use case that we really haven't covered very much at all, at least not in the last three to six months. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. If you're interested in more use cases, you want to unlock our full library of AI use cases at Emerge, as well as our white paper library and our full list of best practices and infographics, you can go to emerj.com P1. That's for Emerge Plus. And you can learn more about Emerge Plus and unlocking the full list of our use cases that we have available. But for this week, we're going to be diving into one use case, and this is, again, manufacturing for electronics, medical devices, and more. Without further ado, Abhishek with Bright Machines here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Abhishek, I know that assembly and inspection and manufacturing is the name of the game at at Bright Machines, and The bulk of your work there i wanted to put in context what that process looks like now you know what what is assembly when we think about something like electronics or medical devices and why is it such an important part of of manufacturing today
1: sure so uh, if you look at the assembly process there actually is a fair bit of automation in what would be the front part of the process but you hear about these millions of people involved in manufacturing. So what part of the process are the human beings actually solving? And that's typically the back end of the process, which is putting things together, doing inspection, putting some screws in, uh, a memory chip in. Those kind of activities is uh, where human beings are involved. And so there is a, there are a lot of uh, human beings doing these back end activities. And over the last two to three decades, the strategy of manufacturing efficiency has been around moving the back end of the operations to countries which have a lower costs. And uh, as we know, these days, due to various reasons, changing demographics, trade policies, COVID, other uncertainties, you want to manufacture closer to the consumer and the consumer preferences are also changing. So what needs to happen is if you want to have The ability to manufacture products in a shorter duration, you need to have automation and you need to have systems that can work uh, across the globe and the ability to move your production facilities across the globe. And that's where automation fits in. And that's where actually Bright Machines, we are trying to solve those classes of problems.
0: Got it. So we'll we'll just kind of frame up the problem and the process as it is now. What I really love to do in these use case episodes, those of you who are longtime listeners will be aware of this. Um, is we, we like to talk about you know what's the process look and feel like today, and then what's the process look and feel like in terms of where AI fits into the the edges and starts to to add value. You know I'm imagining in my head Abhishek not being you know full time in the manufacturing space. You know we've got you know a press that'll make the actual plastic bits. We've got you know some other shipment of all the little metal bits that we're going to need, and maybe some of the initial conjoining of the bigger pieces can kind of happen upstream in some big automated robotic process or just flow of materials. But then it comes down to putting together the little pieces, making sure the thing actually works, You know, inspecting and make sure it's not dinged or damaged in any major way, that it really is... You know, I imagine kind of a conveyor belt. Again, this is, this is a a novice's imagination, but some kind of a conveyor belt with, with the different pieces that I'm working with and my part of the workflow as a, as a worker. And my job is to connect these two things and, and the items slides down and, you know, I'm doing my little piece and then it moves down to the next person and they're doing their little piece. For example, is this, is this often what it looks like to get electronics made, to get medical devices made, other things that need to be assembled?
1: Yeah, I think you have described it very well. That is pretty much the base process. Obviously, will be variations on that depending on how many units you want to produce, how fast you want to produce, and there will be specific systems to deal with inherent variability in your components, in the processes, and so forth. But what you described is actually the current process. And in that current process, human beings are on one part of the process, which is closer to uh, final assembly than on the initial part of the process, which, as you described, is much more uh, automated or you have components already available in a shape or form which need to be assembled at a later stage.
0: Got it. Okay. So this is what it looks like now. And we can talk a little bit about where AI fits into the mix. I imagine that there have been automation efforts to try to do some of this because it would seem to me, Abhishek, like the more that we can get done really reliably, really quickly, and without needing human hands, human attention, maybe even human margins of error, uh, the better. So I Imagine companies are working on how can we have less pieces so that things fit together easier and and we can you know build it more quickly and and then there's probably another phase where we have some automation of you know can we get a machine to maybe handle some of the initial screws or the initial bolts, the initial connection or conjoining of pieces or whatnot but of course, where you folks are trying to take it is is to a very granular level of of almost kind of putting finishing touches on things. Can you walk us through what it looks like to apply machine learning and computer vision to this very dexterous task? Because this is just the kind of thing that I think many of us who are aware of the limitations of robotics know to be very, very hard.
1: Sure. Uh, I think... uh Automation obviously exists, has existed for quite some time. Uh, before we get into how we are solving the problem, it's important to understand the limitation of automation, even if you choose to go down that path. So, the automation that typically exists in manufacturing is very custom. So, at some point, the manufacturer chooses to go with an automation solution. Uh, there will be a custom design for that specific product that needs to be assembled. And uh, the process of doing the design takes time. It is not flexible to handle variants uh, of the product or new product classes. It is sequential in the sense you first need to design, then you need to order the hardware, then you program the robots, then you test it, and it takes months, uh, sometimes even more than a year, to get an automation solution in place. Now, what is the issue there? If you do that for one specific product, for one specific place in the world, your ability to replicate that or move that is going to be extremely difficult. Uh, Plus, you cannot deal with uh, variations in your supply chain and your product class. So what is AI actually good at if you take a step back? Uh, If you have zero variance, you should go with deterministic approaches. But when you have variability, you need AI solutions. And that's the approach we are taking where... Can we actually embed a lot of the logic in software? And when I say software, it is leveraging machine learning, computer vision. Uh, it is leveraging the robotics and associated drivers in the cloud. Can we do that so that we are able to actually account for the ability and provide the flexibility that automation uh, requires and that also helps drive a higher roi through automation so i don't need to think about depreciating my asset automation asset in three to five years and then selling it for a scrap i can actually reuse and leverage a lot of the automation i did for uh, product a uh, in product b and that's our central thesis
0: yeah okay got it got it so it's important i guess this is useful and interesting even just from a business model perspective I guess the, the very rough AI analogy here, Abhishek, would be would be overfitting, right? If we uh we build a very rigid firm system for this exact size of screw, this exact size of you know plastic piece, what have you, then as soon as customer preferences change or as soon as we need to create seven different versions, depending on different kinds of demand and different factors, now all of a sudden that whole asset, like you said, we might just need to scrap as as the product itself sort of evolves. So what you're talking about is is having something where we can adjust those little nuances and details to create different versions or even to to edit or adjust the process without just kind of knocking to pieces this big ossified system built for a singular product
1: exactly and uh, the other part which i mentioned and uh, there's a nuance there where the sequentiality of processes in building an automation solutions if you can parallelize some of it through simulation Right, leveraging AI and bridge, bridging the gap between the simulated world and the physical world again using AI, you can shorten your uh, deployment time for automation drastically, and that is where the advances in computer vision, the advances on the hardware side, are critical. So, if you look at simulation versus real-world deployment, except for automotive, where they do a lot of simulation and they will replicate that in the real world, because the automation projects are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, if sometimes not billions, right? In many other cases, people don't use simulation as much because you just have to duplicate that effort. Why do you need to duplicate that effort? Because simulation, uh, you simulate the ideal state, there is inherent variability when you implement even the same robotic arm in two different projects, right? So how do you bridge that gap? And that's where vision becomes critical, and that's where the advances on computer vision, and machine learning are critical to bridge this gap where you do simulation, and that is deployable on real production lines. And that's where you shorten your deployment time, or you can do what-if analysis, optionality, and all that, even before you get the hardware in your hands.
0: Yeah, well, let's, let's talk a bit about the simulation side of things. So we we had a Danny Lange on the, the show not horrendously long ago from Unity, obviously, you know, one of the bigger players in the world and in sort of the simulation game. And uh, I'm tertiarily familiar with kind of the gaming space as well, although we don't interview many folks from there, because frankly, it's just not an industry I happen to care that much about. Um, But when it comes to this digital twinning kind of simulation side of things for manufacturing, and particularly for this nuanced piece of assembly, what is that like? I'm kind of, I'm imagining, okay, I have a factory and I make fire alarms. So they've got a little battery in them and they're going to ring if they detect smoke. So... What am I doing here in terms of simulating the real world to understand how this machine puts it together? Or maybe you could give me a better example. I'd just love to paint a mental picture, Abhishek, if we could today.
1: Sure. So, what you're trying to simulate is the following. I mean, when you're trying to build a product, it's not that it's just a product. There is a CAD associated with the product, right? So, there's information in CAD. Think of it this way you take that CAD information into a simulation environment. You are creating 3D models of the product. You break the product into different layers. And now, what you're trying to next do is figure out what is the line that I should design for the purposes of assembly so that I can put this product together now that I've broken down the product. Once you have the line design, next you are thinking what are the activities I need to do on each of the robotic cells on the line so that I can build the entire product. So You have been able to do the line creation, you have been able to run different what-if analysis on the line creation so that you know what the cycle time is, the tag time and so forth. You have been able to write the program that each of these Virtual robotic cells will do. And at that point in time, you are ready with the line design and the code that needs to be deployed on the robotic cells. Right? So you have done all of this. Now what you parallel are doing is you're managing your supply chain and getting the actual physical robots and the conveying systems, the material feeders, the elevators, and so forth. Once those systems arrive, then you can take the code you have developed and deploy on the actual physical line. Now, there will be some variability between what you assumed and what is actually there in the physical world, but how do you bridge that gap? you can use vision systems to actually bridge that gap by doing better calibration, by understanding, right? If what you assumed uh, in the system is different from what is actually there and doing this calibration, not once before you do the factory acceptance of your project, but at every point in time as you do production, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it's starting to, I'm I'm gonna clarify as we we go through here. So I'll talk simulation first and we'll talk vision. The simulation side of things, it sounds like we're imagining the different permutations of orders and steps, and we're running simulations of what orders and steps are going to work how. So, and maybe, you know, when I think about this, I guess at a high level, it, it would seem to me like those series of orders and steps would come from a person in other words we, we wouldn't need ai to let's say programmatically generate a thousand ways to build this phone in fact that would actually seem really hard it seems like yeah. it's a, it's a person who would say well we could try it this way we could try it this way and maybe there's two dozen ways we could do it maybe there's seven dozen ways we can do it but a, a human thinks about it is is ai part of that physics model or does it really come in more for the computer vision in the next step there
1: so there are parts of it which even comes in the uh, so simple example, motion planning, right? As a human being, you're absolutely right. What are the different scenarios I need to simulate? If I were actually to be doing this on the physical devices, I can't do it. It's just not physically possible to do it because I may take certain steps, which results in the robotic arm hitting something within my working space, yeah. right? So you actually want to do the simulation. You want to not be extremely careful while doing the simulations because you want to, let's say, do a few dozen scenarios and see uh, what the path time is, what the cycle time is and so forth. Now, there is the second part of it, which is I as a human being can specify, take this path right, to put the screw in. The other approach is I can just say, hey, uh, from the CAD file, I know where the screw holes are, Uh, create the optimal path for me Uh, From where my robotic arm is to this specific uh, screw hole. And now you are talking about declarative programming. So, here when we think about simulation, it is you are optimizing or trying to minimize the path, uh, minimize the time of the path that needs to be created subject to constraints within the space that the robot operates in. So, that's more motion planning. And that's an example of AI. It's not machine learning, but if you look at AI, AI is much broader than machine learning. Parts of it is around ML, yeah, deep yeah, yeah. parts are around right uh, planning too, and there is robot guidance part. So I'm saying there are a bunch of things happening here. Some traditional, popular ML and DL methods, but other things which fall under the AI umbrella, and uh, they are relevant too.
0: Big time, yeah. I, I'm. I'm... Absolutely never advocate for the, um, you know, if it's not deep learning, it's not cool. If it's not deep learning, it's not going to deliver value. I mean, in fact, the opposite is so often the case. Even when, you know, something like deep learning is used, it's often in conjunction with a hundred other run-of-the-mill ways of doing software where it it serves one little purpose where it can add more value than maybe it, it could otherwise. So totally understood that it doesn't have to be deep learning all the way through. So cool. So I understood a little bit there on the simulation side of things. You talk now about vision. So I presumed that this is, again, not having that much experience with this device, but I, I imagine what we're talking about for vision here is being able to kind of use computer vision to watch the assembly occur and leverage that as part of the improvement process. I actually, top of mind, wouldn't know exactly how that works, but maybe you could explain because this is kind of an, an interesting use case here.
1: Right. So vision has different use cases. I think the more commonly known use cases around inspection, but uh, let, let's look at the problem we are solving. If my robot needs to go to a particular place, it needs calibration because the robotic arm is fixed to the roof of the robotic cell or, let's say, the floor. There are multiple joints there. So you need a way of calibrating across all the joints and the systems that your robot is connected to. Problem you need to solve for where you're going to use vision. You need to identify the objects that you are seeing or which you are trying to assemble. You need to understand the scene in which this object is there with other objects. You need to estimate the pose of the object itself if you need to handle it, right? And in case of uh, moving objects, say the robotic arm, for example, should pick that object. So determine big points. Given the pose of the object, right? So, all these things are going to be vision determined. So, there are uh, beyond just the inspection related activities, whether or not a part is present. If not present, what should I do? If the part is present, I have assembled it, I'm checking the quality. All that is great. But you again have these tasks around calibration, uh, around just object detection, pose estimation, and so forth, which also you need to do, right? And this, if you do this right, it fundamentally changes the way you teach the robot. So rather than saying, go to uh, XYZ, X1, Y1, Z1, then go to X2, Y2, Z2, you can tell the robot in a declarative manner, I want you to do this, pick this object, put it in this, not location, but in this thing. So now you are you have made the process of teaching a robot far, far simpler than what you typically see in automation platforms.
0: This is definitely new for me in terms of what you're articulating for computer vision. So I'll just clarify. The inspection one makes a ton of sense. I mean, there's just oodles of examples. You just use computer vision, it's like, okay, is the piece rusty yes or no you yeah. know is is the screw in place yes or no i mean these are basically solved computer vision problems and this is not hard stuff but but it's important and it can add a lot of value and i'm not downplaying it i think there's great business models there and it's it's something i understand you're talking about using vision to identify pieces so that instructions can be done so that something akin to put x piece here or add a y screw here um, that it would know where that Y screw is in its little environment, or something, or or it would know what piece X is and and where to place it on piece Y. From from what I think you're saying, it's something something like that. But maybe you could um, make sure I'm on the right
1: page, Abhishek. No, no, absolutely. I mean, rather than defining each step that the robot needs to take, you are declaring the activities right in a higher level construct or a higher level language. And that essentially shortens your code development time drastically, right? And you are using vision to understand the scene, to understand the objects, to understand the poses. So I think that's where uh, for us in the context of robotics, there is a lot of value for vision. And I talked about calibration. When you are doing things, especially at high degree of accuracy, your reference frames need to be aligned. You you can't, uh, in physical world, things move around, uh, there is variability, and you can't just do your things at that level of precision if you don't have proper calibration throughout your robotic cell.
0: Yeah. Okay. So does vision play a role in calibration? In other words, what I'm imagining is, and, and I love this distinction, Abhishek, because I think I try to just batter this down into, into our articles and into our interviews is that the physical world is just a monstrous challenge compared to the digital world in many ways when it comes to ai because you know on amazon i know exactly where my my uh, you know if i work at amazon.com i know what was added to the cart and taken out of the cart because it was a digital interaction but if i'm using computer vision in a supermarket it's much, 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 much more complicated to know when a physical item enters a physical cart. That's just, that's a whole nother level of, of challenge. And and obviously what you're saying is when we're manufacturing things, the screw is supposed to be placed in this spot so we can grab it and we can place it somewhere. But what you're saying is, is vision plays a role in knowing when maybe something isn't positioned exactly as it normally would be. And so we need to, to twist, tweak, move the arm a little bit forward so that we still get into the hole, whatever the case may be. Does vision play a role there? That that sounds to me, Abhishek, like an extremely hard robotic dexterity problem that I would almost be somewhat surprised if you folks had made significant progress on. I mean, this is just my instinct. Talk about what that looks like.
1: I don't think it's a, actually, there is a separate dexterity problem on the end of arm. Uh... Uh, We'll we'll talk about that later. (laughs) That's why you can't just have a software solution. When you are trying to do calibration right, you need some reference points which are stable relative to which you can calibrate. And That's why our belief of having this hardware coupled with software is critical. So I can't just say I'm developing a calibration pipeline and it should work in every situation. No, I need to have my robotic cells instrumented in a way that I can actually do the calibration right at any given point in time. So I think that's the nuance here. I mean, you're right. It's not a software problem, right? There is inherent variability, but you try to address that in a manner by controlling the reference points embedded within your hardware.
0: Yep, got it. So yeah, like you said, if, if we're just programming if-then scenarios in a, into a machine, you know, move here, grab this. In, in the physical world, things are always gonna have a little bit more variance and we need to have computer vision sort of actually access reality uh, so that we can make sure, you know, like you said, that calibration happens when we pick things up, calibration happens when we insert things or whatever the case may be. And yeah, that's, geez, that is tough. Last thing, as we close out here, Abhishek, I want to ask this because I feel like there's a lot of business context here, and we can end on this question, is around this whole idea of kind of Customization and manufacturing locally. Clearly, this is something that plays into your guys' business model. I'm not trying to do this to toot your horn, although obviously, you know, you guys have succeeded well enough to prove that it's a valuable use case. But just to understand those industry trends as to why those things are so useful. In other words, why is there more product variability? Why is local manufacturing more important? Is there something you can touch on, particularly with regards to to the customization side? That um, and and why that is becoming more prominent, or, or just why you folks are, you know, it seems like it's something, it's a wave that you're riding, and, and I'd like to articulate that wave to the audience, basically.
1: So let's start with uh, first consumer preferences, right? So if you look at consumer preferences now, uh, one is the consumers themselves want a certain degree of customization for themselves. So you can take your consumer segment, break it down into sub-segments, and there is an expectation that I'm not get, getting a baseline vanilla product. There is certain customization I expect. So that's part one. Second is the product life cycles themselves are shortening. I mean, if you look at the phones you used to buy 10 years ago versus now, there is a lot more changes that happen from a consumer just expectation standpoint. Then there are other aspects. I mean, you have now trade policies which are nationalistic, you have uncertainties in the marketplace, you have supply chain issues. Now, if I'm a manufacturer, I would like to be closer to where my consumers are because then I can respond to the local market needs faster. But it wasn't cost effective. So how do I make it cost effective? I have to have an automation solution, which can make sense while I'm selling my products to the consumers at the given price point. Now, with the advancements in technology and the development of cloud and the availability of software tools, uh, open source AI, libraries, all of that, I mean, they're, all of that combined actually helps us solve this problem in a manner which is ROI positive, right? So it's not that you can't auto, you couldn't have automated things in the past, you can automate everything. Is it ROI positive? And I think the confluence of these different trends, along with consumer expectations and geopolitical issues, that has uh, made it a lot more interesting for a uh, solution like Bright machines.
0: Yeah, yeah. Good for you guys predicting the future of uh, American politics there as you started the business model. I'm sure you didn't, but certain facets there certainly playing in your favor. And hopefully for the audience, some of the context there around industries shifting will make it understood as to why this machine learning use case is becoming relevant. Bright Machines has raised an awful lot of money if you want to go on Google and check them out. Clearly, they're onto something here. And Abhishek, I appreciate you being able to break things down, tell us a little bit about what's happening in manufacturing, and make us all a little bit smarter today. So, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me over, Dan. So that's all for this episode of the AI in Business podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. If you want to support the show and stay tuned for all our latest episodes, You can subscribe to our newsletter at emerj.com up at the top right corner. You can click subscribe and you'll get all of our latest podcasts to your inbox as well as all of our latest articles and our other coverage and content, including use cases that are not in a podcast format, which is most of them. So you can again find us at emerj.com up at the top right. Click subscribe. That'll help support the show and also make sure that you don't miss any of the good material that we're producing here every single week for you at Emerge. So we're going to wrap this one up. I'll catch you here on Thursday for the AI and Business Podcast.